Hi, once again, thanks for joining us. We are going to find ourselves in Numbers chapter 19 in our study here, The Wilderness Wanderings. And I've entitled this section, uh, Cleanliness is Next to, and we normally fill that in with godliness, because that's what the proverb that we often hear in our culture is. But when we look through the scriptures and we, we see that that phrase is not even in the Bible, it's not a verse, in case you were wondering, uh, cleanliness is really next to holiness. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. When we talk about cleanliness, I was reading, and uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne uh, made a statement. He wrote one time when his wife was away and he had to do the chores around the house. He said, the washing of dishes does seem to me the most absurd and unsatisfactory business that I ever undertook. If when once washed, they would remain clean forever and ever, there would be less occasion to grumble. But no sooner is it done than it requires to be done again. So based on that, he made this declaration in his writings. He said, I, because of that, I have come to the resolution not to use more than one dish at each meal. I'm thinking there's probably a whole bunch of moms who would wish that was the case for their family. But I'm sure like Hawthorne, not going to be practical. But can you relate to him? Can you relate to his statement? Moms, maybe even teens, you're watching, you think about the chores you have to do. Can we ever really say the job is done? Whether it's dishes or vacuuming or laundry or just scrubbing the floors or whatever it is, sweeping them. Before you turn around, you sit down. It's like, wait, I just swept that floor. Why is it dirty again? And we feel that way when it comes to cleaning. I I despise certain chores. I just, I don't like washing dishes. Hawthorne and I, I, I like dishes to eat off of, but I don't like to clean them at all. And Sharon, it drives her nuts because I will, when I cook, I love to cook, but I will dirty every dish in the house in order to cook. So it drives her insane. But I, I agree. It feels like it's never done. And I would say that it's very similar to our spiritual cleanliness. Spiritual dirt, it just accumulates constantly without any significant effort on our part. It, it, it happens as a sinner because of my nature. I sin. And it just, it seems to just pop up at random times often. And because of that, spiritual cleanliness seems impossible for us to maintain. So if it seems impossible and it seems to just pop up and it's such a battle, do we just choose to live and embrace this idea of a a pig pen spirituality? There's actually a book called Embracing Spiritual, or Your Pig Pen Spirituality. So am I supposed to just look and say, well, like Pigpen, Pigpen was always dirty. Even when he was clean, he was dirty and just walked around with the stench and the filth. So I guess that's just the way that I have to be. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that how we're supposed to live our lives? When we come to Numbers chapter 19, we're going to enter into uh, some things called a purification law. Now there's numbers of purification laws throughout the, throughout the Pentateuch. When we look here, we are going to be forced in Numbers 19 to deal with the theological concept that truly I believe we need to address before we study this passage in depth. This passage has lots of issues with it. It's a really deep and rich passage. I've, I've loved studying it, but it can be obscured at times. It can be misunderstood because of the uniqueness of the passage. So in order to really step back and get the full appreciation of what is being taught Let me take the moment, take the rest of this time to do a different type of study today. To look at some words in this passage and and understand the concepts. Understand the theology from the Old Testament that we can put to practice so we can understand as we study any of the books of the law, whether it's Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, understanding what God is saying. Let me ask you this theological question. It's a very simple one. And yet coming up with a quick answer may be a little harder than you think. What does it mean to be unclean or clean? Now you might be asking, well, are you talking animals? Are you talking people? What are you, what are you talking about? Yes. What does that mean? But specifically for individuals, for people, what does it mean to be clean or unclean? We read it all the time. We come across it when we're reading our our Old Testament, even into the New Testament, it will talk about that. What What does it mean? So looking at Numbers 19, it's vitally important. You say, well, why is it so vitally important to understand clean and unclean in Numbers 19? 
Look at the passage. Just I'll scroll them up here. Verse 7, the priest shall be unclean. Verse 8, he shall be unclean. A man that is clean, it's a purification from sin. He shall be unclean till evening. Verse 11, he that touches the dead body of a man shall be unclean seven days. It goes on, verse 12, he shall purify himself and be clean. If not, he's going to be unclean. Whoever touches and is not purified shall be unclean, and his uncleanness will continually be upon him. Verse 14, he should be unclean seven days. Every vessel, verse 15, not just talking people here, now we're talking things, shall, that's not covered is going to be unclean. Uh, verse 16, they shall be unclean for seven days. An unclean person, verse 17, and again, the purification of sins. Verses 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, all continue using these words clean and unclean. So in order to understand all of Numbers 19, we need to understand what does it mean to be clean? What does it mean to be unclean? So let's, let's do that a little bit. It's vitally important in Numbers 19 because being clean from contamination, it's a pretty big deal to God. I mean, that's not even the, the most uses of clean and unclean. Leviticus uses it a ton when it's talking about the law and how the priests are to enact the law and discern how people are. When we're going to be looking at Numbers 19, even next week, it's a big deal because dead, dead people, dead bodies made one ritually unclean. All of 19 is about being ritually unclean because of proximity or touching dead bodies. And death, let's be honest, in the wilderness, it's everywhere. We just came off of Numbers 16, 17, 18. But back in 16, do you remember at the end after Korah's rebellion and Datham and Abiram and all of that happened? 14,700 plus the 250 plus Korah's family, Datham's family, Abiram's family. So you're talking 15,000 people have just died in the story of Numbers. It's all around. Not to mention what's going to happen to this entire generation of hundreds of thousands of people over the next 40 years. They're all going to die. Death permeated the camp. It was present for them. So if death makes you ritually unclean, how can this people, how can they even feel comfortable? Will they ever feel like they can enter back in to the presence of the holy God? So it's a big deal. And that's why we have to understand and we need to go. So what are all these purification laws about? Why are they necessary? When we look at the purification laws in the Old Testament, specifically in the law, we see that the purification laws, they warned the people against actions, conditions, contacts that would render them unclean. So they were used as a warning to say, hey, if this happens in your normal life, you're going to become unclean. So be careful, be aware, be, be on guard. Don't just walk through life unwittingly. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. To, to walk, to be on guard. The faithful Israelites, what was their goal? Just like ours is to be, we are to faithfully strive toward a holy standard of devotion to God. These laws then, for them, aided in their journey and in their struggle. It helped them as they worked through life, as they worked through attempting to journey and work through to be right with God, to, to be clean and to be holy with him. It was not, na- or excuse me, it was natural for defilement to occur. We need to understand that. We understand that theologically from a New Testament, even an Old Testament perspective, sin was easy. Defilement was easy because we have a fallen nature, because the world has fallen. The curse is upon the world. It is all, death is all around. Defilement is all around. So these laws would then make provisions for the struggle. They were very gracious. We may look at them and say, wow, they're so overbearing. But the Jews would look at them and say, wait, this allows me in the natural ongoing of life when I, when I end up being defiled, when I end up being unclean, it allows me back into a right stead with God and a right standing with my fellow Israelites. It provided a way to help me through the struggle of life. These laws were designed by God. Note that they're designed by God as provisions to make a way for the people to return to him. Why? Because God desires fellowship with his people. 
God wants that relationship. God desired it. He did not desire for them to just simply wallow in uncleanness. He wanted them to be clean. He wanted them to be holy before him. And so he designed these laws and these sacrifices and these purification rituals for the Jews to be able to understand in their mind that as they walk by faith, they could be right and have that, that feeling of rightness with God. So what is uncleanness? As we, as we talk about it, as we talk about what uncleanness is, we see it in, uh, excuse me, this passage here in Numbers chapter 19. We see the, we see the terms clean and unclean, but, but what is it? We often think dirty, tainted, possibly unhygienic. And in some cases, that, that was the situation. But if we simply think, we think, if we're thinking, if we just do a little bit of washing, if we do a little bit of cleaning, then the filth is dealt with and that's, that's all this was. It all has to do with just the hygiene of the people or keeping them dietarily safe. There was more to it than that. So let's, let's talk about it. What is uncleanness? Let's understand this. Cleanliness and uncleanliness, it is desi- or defined by God. It is not defined by me. It is not defined by you. It was not defined by the priest. It was not defined by the local Jew. It was defined by God. Now, the priests would have the ability to declare if someone was clean or unclean. They would have the ability, Leviticus 10 gives that to them, where they could look at the law. Someone might come and say, am I unclean because of this skin lesion? Or am I unclean because this happened? Do I need to make sacrifice? Do I need to make atonement? Do I need to make reparations? And they would be able to look at the law and say, well, based on this and this and the law, we would say, yes, you are. Or no, you're not. You're still, you're still clean. They had that right to be able to declare a person clean or unclean. But in order to understand the terms, let's, let's step back a little bit more. There's, there's a term that is also needing to be used. The term is holy. When someone or something was holy, it was set apart, it was consecrated, it was dedicated to God. Everything else was considered common. Now, in the Jewish practice, and a normal, everyday, living, abiding Jew who was doing right, they were not necessarily set apart to holiness. The priests were set apart. The Levites were set apart. Someone who took a Nazarite vow would be set apart. Some of the instruments would be set apart. When you would take your sacrifice, your offering, there would be a, a position and movement toward holiness. And so that would happen. But the living in an everyday did not put you in the realm of holiness. We were common. Most of us would be considered a common individual. Now, as we look at that, that which is holy is permitted before God. If you are not holy, if you are a common individual, you are not able to just waltz into the tabernacle. That's what the Levites were there to do, to guard us from just sauntering up to the tabernacle and walking in. I couldn't do that because I'm not a Levite, I'm not a a priest, and therefore I was common. I was not holy and set apart to God. Okay, so I had that, had to be holy, or an item had to be holy to be permitted into the entrance of God. Everything else is considered common. And the term common has two categories. It has the categories of clean and unclean. We must understand that the word clean, part of that that subcategory of common, the word is tahor. What it means is this, normal, pure, natural, healthy, clean, uh, sinless. It has all of those terms wrapped up into it. It is, uh, it's the normal everyday state or condition of the Israelites. That's important to understand. It's not that they just lived in the unclean and hoped that they would get to the clean. The normal everyday Israelite was living in the realm of clean, living in the realm of normalcy, living everyday life, practically striving to live righteously before God and do what is right. And so they would live in that normal state. Clean individuals or items could be elevated to holy through sacrifice. How was I able to, as a common Jew, able to approach toward the tabernacle? How was I able to go before God? I had to bring a sacrifice in order to enter before him. That had to happen. 
But I could also have to remember that a clean individual or items, they could be degraded by pollution or by sinfulness. And they could take an individual from the realm of the clean to the realm of the unclean. We must understand that term unclean. The word is tame. And it has a negative term. It's hard to find really a good word because it's not always negative. Now, understand there's, there's consequences to being unclean. But, but hear me out. The word can mean contaminated, diseased, abnormal, impure, unnatural, weak, ill, uh, contaminated again, uh, sinful. It, it has all of those. It's important for us to understand. Unclean. If you don't get anything else out of this, get this. Unclean does not always mean sinful or loathsome. Here's, here's why. Leviticus talks about if a lady gives birth, she's now considered unclean. Pastor just talked about Mary in the, in the, in the, during this Christmas series. And as he talked about Mary... The, the, one of the things that was talked about was that she was unclean. She had to go through a purification rite and a ritual. She had to, to wait before they could bring Jesus to the temple because she was considered unclean. But she was in the will of God. The baby was not born in sin. It wasn't wrong. She wasn't sinful. She was just unclean, ritually, ceremonially. Numbers 19, we're going to talk about this all next week. The, the family member dies in your arms or a family member dies in your tent or you walk to a friend's tent and all of a sudden their, their, their child dies and you're there. You didn't sin. You didn't do anything wrong, but you're unclean. So uncleanliness does not instantly equal sinfulness. And we need to understand that. So the normal Jew lives in this realm of the clean but they can end up in the realm of the unclean or the category of being unclean. Let me, let me try and put it to you this way, just using some objects and illustrations. Let's, let's say that the pulpit over here is going to be the realm of the holy. Okay, So as, as you're here in the realm of the holy, you're there. Where I've been speaking from and normally, let's just call this the everyday realm of the clean. This is where I'm at most of the time. And then we're going to use the recycling can. I didn't, I didn't use a garbage can because someone who's unclean is not garbage. They are unclean. They need to be cleaned, recycled, brought back, purified, and then, and then be made right. So how do I go from, if I'm in the realm of the unclean, which we've already stated is easy to find yourself in because of sin, because of the sinful nature of humanity, because of the curse upon the world, how does, it, how does a Jew bring themselves from the realm of the unclean to the realm of the clean? And the answer is through purification, through the washing of water, through the rituals that have been prescribed by God that are oversaw by the priests. They would go through these different rituals, these purification rites, and what it would allow is somebody who was unclean to move to the realm of clean. Now, how does somebody from the realm of clean, and I've already alluded to this, move from the realm from there? So you move from unclean to clean by purification, and you're going to move from clean toward holiness through sacrifice. I've used the cross here because we know, and we've already talked about it, that all the sacrifice of blood and bulls, of animals, of sheep, of goats, and I really don't want to put a bull up here. Um, that would have probably been interesting, and you guys would have really paid attention. But looking at the cross looking at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and moves to the realm. All sacrifices would move a clean individual toward the realm of holiness. And as God saw the sacrifices, and as somebody was living clean and righteously in their daily life, Leviticus reminds us it is God who sanctifies, and God would be doing the sanctifying work in those individuals, moving them toward the realm of the holy. Cleanliness allowed an individual to access God through the priest and the sanctuary. Remember, in the Old Testament time, now I can go through my great high priest, Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, these sacrifices were performed by who? They weren't performed by the common individual. They were performed by somebody who was holy and set apart unto God, the priests, 
the Levites helping them. And so I would have access toward God through the priest, through the sanctuary of the tabernacle, or later on the temple, through the sacrifices that I offer. But I had to be living clean in order to do that. I could move from the realm of unclean all the way by offering the purifications and even sacrifices, and that at times would happen. But we look and say, okay, how is uncleanness contracted? As I live here as a Jew, in my everyday life in the realm of the clean, how do I find myself into the realm of the unclean, in the category of uncleanliness? And as we look, the, the natural state of the Israelite is clean. But because of sin and the curse, as I mentioned, it's inevitable that they would find themselves in the realm of the unclean. So reminding ourselves that that does not mean sinful all the time. It can mean sinful, but it doesn't always. How does that individual cleanse themselves to be living every day in the realm of the clean? There's multiple ways for an individual to become unclean. And they're highlighted in the law. It could be spiritually, and this is where sin is involved. An individual living here chooses to enact sin. And they find themselves violating God's laws and they enter into the realm of the unclean. When sin is involved, even if it's not the choice, Leviticus 4 talks about you could be living and going through life and you sin, you don't even realize that you've sinned, you've hurt somebody, you have uh, berated somebody, something happens and it's brought to light. You didn't even know about it. It was unintentional. You hurt someone. Leviticus 4 said it brings you to the realm of the, the category of unclean. So what happens here? What happens when you find yourself in the clean? When it is spiritually, when sin is involved, there was purification that needed to take place, confession of sin, forgiveness, and sacrifice, atoning sacrifice, blood for the sins to cover your sins. All of that had to take place to bring a person back into the realm of cleanliness. But what about for the individual who didn't do it by sin? They find themselves living in or being unclean. Not because of sin that they have done, but because they came in contact with somebody who was contaminated or something that was contaminated, diseased, someone that was impure, somebody died in their arms. They gave birth and they find themselves here. What had to happen? It's out of their control in that situation. This could be a skin disease. It could be bodily discharge. You have lesions or sores that occur, contact with the death. When there's no sin involved, okay, this is important. When no sin is involved, there is not a necessity for confession and for forgiveness or sacrifice. There was just purification. We're going to see that in Numbers 19 in a number of ways. The priests are going to offer a sacrifice. They need to purify. Someone is going to help an individual who is unclean, and they're going to find themselves. In Numbers 19, toward the, one of the situations is a friend is going to help another friend who is unclean. And when they help that other friend, because they come in contact with the un, unclean friend, and they're helping with the situation that occurs, they themselves become unclean. Not by sin, but by choice. They need to be purified. So a quick summary of how, how does this happen? How does one become unclean? Sometimes uncleanliness was chosen. It was a decision by the individual. Many times it was a result beyond human control. Something happened in life. Something happened to them. They were at battle and they were in a war and in the battle there were dead people around. They find themselves contaminated, but they're fighting for God. They're still in the realm of the unclean and they need to go through purification. Uncleanness, this is important. Even in the Old Testament, just as it is with us today, uncleanness can come from within or without. We can face the temptations from within, the trials from without, the things that happen, and we can give in to either one of those, of those things. So look at that in the realm of that the little chart I put up there. And looking at this, we can move from holy to unclean. The Nazarites, if you took a Nazarite vow and you came in contact with the unclean, you had to go through all the rituals and then the sacrifices to fulfill your Nazarite duty. We talked about that back in chapter 6, I believe, when we talked through the Nazarites. 
you move yourselves from the, from the realm of clean to unclean and moving back through purification, through sacrifice. Sin or contamination could bring you to unclean. And that happened often in the lives of the Jews. It wasn't a every moment of every day thing. But often you, you may find yourself in, in bigger situations, finding yourself in this term or this category of unclean. And it's very important. People would know if they were clean or not. Just like we do. We know if we're hiding sin or not. We know if we're battling through what we're going through. We know if we're, we're striving toward holiness. If I'm not moving toward holiness, I'm moving toward uncleanliness. We, we get all that. We know that. We know where we're at in our lives. And so the, the people would know and they would understand. So what is the result? As I find myself in the, the category of the realm of this uncleanliness, what is the result of this situation? Just as one could become physically or ritually or spiritually unclean, the consequences or the ramifications of uncleanliness are both physical and spiritual. Here, here's some, here are some of the results from uh, uncleanness. There's the potential of humiliation. Some of these are potential. Some of these will definitely be realized. There's the potential of humiliation. Can you imagine going to the priest and having to say, uh, excuse me, Eliezer, can you check this lesion that I have? I really don't want to show you. We, we have a hard enough time going to the doctors and they, they have to check your body. It feels uncomfortable. And yet, because you were unclean, there's a potential of just some humiliation. There is the, the humiliation or the shame that may come along with the idea of when they look and say, you're unclean, or you yourself have to say, I'm unclean. We'll see next week in Numbers 19. A friend may come to you and they say to you, can you go with me? I need somebody who will go with me to help me become clean again. Will you go with me? If you as an individual are clean, then you can go with them. Because if, if you're not clean, you can't help them to become clean. So think about that. If I go to my friend and I say, hey, would you come with me? You're one of my best friends. Would you come with me to help me make me ritually clean again? And your friend has to look at you and say, I, I can't. Why not? Everything's here. No, you don't, I'm not clean. There's some potential humiliation, some shame that, that occurs there. So they would strive to live in that, that cleanliness. What else is there? There's, in this realm, there's the potential of contamination. This is important to understand. Everything, whatever is unclean was considered contagious. The dead body, the unclean food that was a result of the dead body, the the, the leper, the individual who is coughing and is sick, they were all considered unclean. And they were considered contagious. When I would come in proximity, there was the potential of myself becoming contagious. So in some cases, the unclean thing or person was very clearly viewed as a contaminator of others. You can look at those passages in Leviticus. That's why it's so important. We think coronavirus is contagious. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think it's all hoax. But you th we, we see the contagiousness of corona. Uncleanliness, far more contagious. And that's one of the reasons that God moves them out. Because one of the things that happens is the reality of isolation. This one was a reality. There was going to be isolation because of our uncleanliness. The unclean individual had to avoid all that was holy, all that was clean. I'm not supposed to just be sauntering around. If I'm in contact with a dead body, I'm not just supposed to be walking around. I'm not supposed to approach the tabernacle or the holiness of God. I'm not supposed to be going giving high fives and, and talking to people. I need to deal with my uncleanliness. The individuals were to be isolated we saw that back with the, the talks about the skin diseases and the, the different bodily uh, diseases and, and the death earlier in Numbers chapter 5. But the priests, the tabernacle, and at times the camp would all 
have to, to look and say, you're going to have to be separated from us. They would separate the unholy from the holy, the, the unclean. It was designed to isolate and to, there's a really bad word that none of us like, quarantine, in order to control the contagion that might make others ritually unclean, maybe even physically unclean, maybe even physically sick. But it was designed by God, one, for the physical protection of the clean and the camp, but two, the spiritual, to allow an individual to, and other people to remain clean in the realm of the clean so that they could approach the holy, so that they could be right with God. And, and this just, honestly, like, you can take whatever position you want on Corona, but again, this whole concept coming up where those who are sick or those who are contagious, they, for the good of the camp and for the good of their brothers and for the good of their people, they don't just simply walk in and say, it doesn't matter. They would isolate. It was part of what God had set up for the children of Israel to hear of, of churches where people are like, I don't care. I'm coming to church anyway, even though I'm, I'm tested positive for Corona. I pray that never is the case here, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be in any church because the concern for the body, the concern for the people, God says, isolate. It's part of the uncleanliness. Move away until it is done so that you can then enter back in, re- enter back into the realm of the clean in order to be right with God and right with other people. What else happens in this? The unclean individuals were unable to enter public worship and the rest of God's people. One of the biggest dynamics of uncleanliness is you were not able to enter into worship with God and you were going to be isolated from fellowship with God's people. Doesn't sin do the same thing today? It hinders our worship and it hinders our fellowship with God and with God's people. Still the same perspective, still the same principle. Both sin and no sin, the physical, the ritual, and the spiritual, forbid the individual from being permitted into the presence of our Holy Lord. You see that throughout the law. So an unclean individual was isolated from worship and fellowship until they were clean. It doesn't mean they can never enter back in. It just says, hey, they can't enter back in until their uncleanness has been purified, has been washed, has been cleansed. The other last result is the potential of condemnation. We instantly have jumped to this one in our understanding of the law. Ooh, if you become unclean, God's going to zap you. He's going to get you. He's got the lightning bolt and he's ready. God is so merciful. That's the beauty of all these purification laws. His mercy and his grace is when you enter into sin or when you enter into uncleanness, deal with it. Purify, wash, cleanse so that you can be right and you can be holy with me. He looks and he says, do that. Do not just remain in the, the squalor of uncleanness. But there is the potential for those who choose to do that to rebel against God's purification, to rebel against confessing and asking for forgiveness and accepting God's sacrifice. There was, for the Jew, the potential of this divine judgment to be taken and to, uh, even if the, if the uncle, unsaved or the, uh, the unclean would attempt to enter in, approach the sanctuary, they were told they were going to be put to death. Not only that, but they could potentially be expelled totally from camp forever or the land when they eventually got in the land. So to live in this realm and to just stay here contentedly, it was not what God intended. Let's be honest. Some of us tend to go from here to here and back and forth again. And that's the battle that we face. And the Jews face some of that same exact battle. But they were thankful, just as I am, for the purification of what Christ offers to us. And in the Jewish time, in the Old Testament, the purification that the rituals offered for these individuals. So a quick summary of how that happens. I mean, it's, it is a beautiful picture of Christ 
And we're gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in a moment. But God desires fellowship with his people. Thus, he provided a way back to fellowship with him. He did not want him to just stay there. He wanted to fellowship with them. So because impurity had to be dealt with before any worship, before any holiness could occur, he then, uh, before it could occur and worship is pursued, because impurity uh, forbids presence and participation in worship with God and his people. So therefore, fellowship with God being right with God presupposes and requires holiness. That's why God establishes purification laws for the Jews of the Old Testament to take care of their uncleanness, whether it was sin or ritual uncleanness, because God is a holy God, could not allow uncleanness to enter and approach him. Only those who were clean, bearing the sacrifice and moving toward holiness would be able to approach our righteous God. So how then... Is somebody who unclean is unclean, how are they purified? How are they able to move to that realm of the unclean? And really, our cultural distance being so far removed from the Old Testament, it causes great anxiety at times. There are rituals we don't understand completely. There is symbolism that we don't always get. And there are multiple avenues of purification in the Old Testament. So as we look through the law, what do we see? How does one move from the, the, the category, the realm of the unclean, to the clean? What are some of the things of purification? Uncleanness was either to be purified or destroyed. When you look through the text, this is either to be purified or this is to be destroyed. It is to be washed with the water, Leviticus talks about, Numbers 19 talks about, to be burned with fire, if it needs to be, if it needs to be broken and never used again, if it needs to be torn down and destroyed, it, it has to happen, but it is either going to be purified or uncleanness is to be destroyed. Now there are various purification rituals that are available based on the severity of the uncleanness. The more unclean a person was, the, 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 the sins, the greater they were, or the further the fall for a Nazarite who was sanctified as holy and finds himself as unclean, there was a lot for them to go through to get back to that position of holiness. So what happened? It could go from a simple, hey, wash and wait, which we'll see in Numbers 19 next week, where you wash, wait till evening time, and you're good to go. To others where there are great sacrifices and and rituals of both that need to, to occur. But no matter what it was, you're going to find some commonality in one thing. It's going to involve time. It's going to say you're going to wait till evening. You're going to wait seven days. You're going to wait 14 days. You're going to wait up to 80 days for some of the uncleanness. And it all differentiates based on the severity of the, the contamination, the, the contagiousness of the individual or whatever the situation was. And that's what the law helps the Jews to understand and decide uh, with the priest to decide what does the person need to do and what rituals they need to do to enter back in to the realm of the clean. It could involve washing. It could involve sacrifice. It could involve some priestly rituals where the priest needed to scrape up dirt or they needed to shave the head or they needed to inspect. It could involve cleansing or even destroying certain items. All of those things, you might say, well, I don't know any of that. I could never, I can't handle that was part of what the priests were designed to do to help them with. But it was also what they lived, the study. They understood their laws. Just like we know a lot of our laws. But it's important for us to go back and look and say, okay, what are these laws teaching us? What do they, what do they mean? These rituals, they were designed to make the unclean clean. Because the unclean cannot be holy. It is only the clean who have the ability to enter and to be made holy through Christ. They restored fellowship, the purification rituals. We'll see one in Numbers 19 next week. They restored the fellowship of somebody who was unclean, not only with God, that's the primary, but also with God's people, that they could enter back into the camp, that they could spend time with their family once again. Purification or offering for sin. You're going to see that. Look at Numbers, we're in 19, just so you can say I looked at a verse today. 
uh, verse, that's, that's for Pastor John. He always tells me when I don't look at verses or not. So pa, uh, uh, John 19, verse 7, it talks about, uh, not John 19, sorry, Numbers 19. Uh, it says, then the priest shall wash his clothes uh, and the priest shall be unclean seven days. Oh, verse 9, sorry, that's what I want. At the very end, it says, it is a purification for sin. And then it says it again down in verse 17. It is a purification for sin. The, the word sometimes you'll see that it's often said as a sin offering. But really what this whole thing in Numbers 19 was, was a purification ritual that allowed for individuals to be able to deal with unintentional sins and ceremonial uncleanness. It started off with just dealing with the dead, but later on in Jewish tradition, this was often used even for just the everyday something happened. You go out, you wash, you trust in God, you, by faith you do it, and you're able to enter in back into the cleanliness. So what is the purpose of this whole understanding of clean and unclean? The purification rituals were designed to cleanse and sanctify things, and more importantly, to cleanse and sanctify people. We would be able to be cleansed. We would be able to be sanctified through the sacrifices. So these were designed by God in order to help people move closer to him by faith. Not by the works they do, but understanding when they were doing this, they by faith understood that God was cleansing them of their sin and of their uncleanness, their ritual uncleanness. They understood that as they brought the sacrifices, that God was atoning for their, their sins through the blood that was shed. They were doing that by faith as they, as they entered in. So for the Old Testament follower, what did it mean? This practically set the Jews apart from other cultures, especially in regard to death. And we'll look at that more next week with Numbers 19. But the way that they would ritually deal with death was different from the cultures around them, and it uniquely set them apart. It practically aided in the hygiene of the camp and later in Jewish cities. We understand that by, by removing that which was unclean, by those who were sick leaving the camp and dealing with it outside of the, the, the group of people, it helped with that. And so there were, there were those practical aspects. But theologically... The, it taught the Jews truths about themselves. These purification rituals, the, the, the sacrifices, the realm of being clean and having to move to unclean or find themselves being in that category. It taught them about themselves. It taught them that ultimately their goal was to get to glorify God, to get back. That is primary. It, uncleanness, it's easy. Just like for us, sin is easy because of our sin nature. It taught the Jews truths about God, that he is holy, that there is a big separation between us and I need to be purified and sanctified in order to be close to him. He is just. He is a living God. Unlike the, the death that may come near and make one unclean, he is the God of the living. He has expectations. I can't just saunter from here over to the holy and say, no big deal, I can just go back and forth. He says, no, there are expectations that I have of how to enter into my presence and then how to maintain a fellowship with me. The Old Testament believers theologically taught the Jews about their relationship to God, that it is to be a priority, that it is to be at the center of their life. They are to be thinking about this when they are walking around and say, oh, wait, that's going to make me unclean. I'm going to change direction. I'm going to make a change in my course. This action that I'm doing has made me unclean. I need to repent of that action. I need to be purified. And I need to change my attitude, my actions, so that I don't find myself continually living in the realm of the unclean. It helped them to understand that cleansing and sacrifice and atonement, the blood, etc. It's all necessary for a holy relationship with our God. And it helped them to understand that our God... Their God desires to forgive the willful sin that brought them into uncleanness or the unintentional acts that brought them to uncleanness. But God desires to forgive them. How do we know that? He established all these ways to purify themselves. He established the sacrifices that allowed for the sins to be atoned for. 
God desires relationship with his people. And these purification rites and rituals and these sacrifices that were to occur helped the Jews to understand that because God desires fellowship. This fellowship is made possible by faith. I've alluded to that a number of times. It was demonstrated by compliance, by obedience with God, with God's laws and performing the prescribed rituals. These rituals did not save them. It was their faith that brought them into a relationship with God. These rituals and performing them and and following the law demonstrated that they were trusting God's ways. That they were, by faith, trusting that what God said they had to do was what would make them whole. These didn't make them whole. It was their faith. This was the object of them demonstrating it, showing that they were trying and striving to live a clean, righteous, holy life before God. Uncleanness from human acts or natural causes can be cleansed by ritual acts or changes in moral behavior. It was not just, okay, I purified, and then I go back to doing the same thing. It's just like for us. Repentance occurs. There has to be a change in behavior. It can't just be a mental assent. Just say, okay, I shouldn't do that again. It is a change in behavior. The person who God sanctifies must demonstrate faith through compliance with the will of God, especially in making sacrifices. To be right and holy with God was to follow his ways, to do his good works, to follow after and follow his sacrifices and do them. Even for us, making sacrifices a holy, living sacrifice, giving my life, bringing the sacrifices of praise to our God. There are lots of sacrifices that we still are to be making as New Testament believers. But it's really easy for us, isn't it, as New Testament believers, to simply dismiss all of this. Because we look and we say, wait, Christ has done away with the law. All those sacrifices were of no avail. It was Jesus Christ, you're right. They could not save the individual. It was through Christ alone. Christ, Christ finished, he completed the law. Yes, that is true. But that does not give us the right to simply dismiss the truth. The regulations for Israel, they were temporary. But the revelation of God's holiness, the revelation of what God demands must and is applicable to all of us. We must look and say, I must follow what God has said and God's standards of holiness. I have a position of holiness because I am saved through Jesus Christ because of this sacrifice. I have that position of being holy. But as a New Testament believer living through Jesus Christ, do I find myself wandering back to the squalor of the unclean? Do I find myself not striving for the holiness of our God? but rather dismissing, defining what clean or unclean is, unlike allowing God to define what is clean, what is holy. Allowing God to define what is sin and what is righteousness. We can do a number of things the Old Testament saints could not. We can eat foods. We don't have all those other things, but we cannot dismiss the truth without a truth that without holiness... It is impossible to have fellowship with God. If I am living in sin, if I am living in unconfessed and unrepentant sin, I can't be saying I have fellowship. What fellowship has light with darkness? It does not. I must be purified and washed by the water of the word of God and by forgiveness and repentance to maintain and to bring my fellowship back with my God. We have been made to be holy by the blood of Christ. We have a profession that must be evidenced through holy living. Remember what First Peter says? You and I are to be holy because he is holy. We have a responsibility to live in this world the way that God has designed. I am to live God's way in God's world. 
He defines righteousness. He defines sin. He defines how I am, I, I am to live. I am to follow that. I can look at the beauty of all of these pictures and understand that my holy God desires to have fellowship with me, one of his holy ones. And yet, how many times do I just walk away? Do I intentionally choose uncleanness? Sure, there's unintentional things sometimes. But I must choose holiness. I must strive for righteousness. Because to be free from the law does not give me the license to be free from obeying what the law revealed. What does the law reveal? What do these purification rites and rituals and laws and being clean and unclean, what do they remind us of? What do they teach us? They teach us that our holy God says that the sinful activities, they're still sinful. The things of the Old Testament laws, those moral codes, they're still wrong. And I need to be repugnated by them. I need to refuse them. And when I fall and I find myself living in an unclean way, unholy before my God, which happens way more than I ever want to admit, I need repentance. I need confession. I need forgiveness. I need to turn from this direction and turn toward the holiness of God and begin to walk that way. Why? Because God desires fellowship with his holy people. Cleanliness is next to holiness. I need to be working to keep my life holy and clean so that I can enjoy the fellowship that the cross of Jesus Christ provides for me. That relationship with my Father, with the Holy One, who desires for me to live righteously. We can say America needs to repent. A lot of things this week that have not good. Not good at all. But the repentance of America begins on an individual basis with us as holy ones of God looking at our lives and saying, I need forgiveness. I need to confess my sins. I need to repent so that I can be right with the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of the universe, to be right in my fellowship with God. Father, I pray that you would help us. Forgive me, even God, of my sins. The sins that, if they were put up, I would not want anybody to know, but yet you know them. God, forgive us as a people. Forgive us as a church, Lord, for our sins. For those who may be listening, I can't ask for forgiveness of their sins, but Lord, I pray that you would forgive them. Help them to receive the repentance and the forgiveness necessary that only comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, heal our nation. Help us. But Lord, help us to understand that it starts first with us. Thank you for this study, Lord. I pray that it was a benefit to others the way it really has been a benefit and a blessing to me. For it's in your holy and wonderful and majestic name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye.